Uh, you're going to find it helpful to have that passage open. It's fairly easy to find. Genesis chapter 20, first book of the Bible, 20th chapter. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you will help us to speak, uh, that you, sorry, you'll help us to listen and that you speak. I want to pray that you will help us to listen carefully to what you are saying so that we might know you better and love you more and that we might love you more than sin. Uh, we pray that you will give us wisdom and understanding. And I want to pray that you'll help me to speak your words faithfully and truthfully. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, if you've been around churches, uh, sorry, if you haven't met me before, my name is Peter. I'm the, the pastor here. Um, and if this is your first time in church, welcome. But uh, if you've been around churches for a little while, you might know there is a game that we kind of play around churches. It's the game that's called, I'll pretend I'm okay and you can pretend that you're okay. That's how it works. And the way this works is, um, I'll pretend that I am doing okay, that my life is more or less together and, um, and that will give you the impression, because I'm up the front, that you need to have your life together, although you don't, so you'll pretend that you've got your life together and we kind of pretend together. It, it's actually, a, in, in church, it's a very dumb game to play because what we see in the Bible is very clearly that our lives are not okay, that our lives are affected by sin, by our rebellion against God. Some of us are going to be affected by the fact that we sin, and I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Some of us are going to be affected by other people's sin on us. And some of us are going to be affected just by the fact that we're in a world that, that is affected by sin. But all of us repeatedly do things that do not please God. And that is why Jesus had to come. That is why Jesus died for us, to pay the penalty for our sin. And yet, uh, we still sin. Now, if you're, uh, if you're not sure whether that's true or not, um, this is one of the joys of being married. Why don't you, if you've got, if you're married, you can always ask the person you're married to and go, "Am I a sinner?" And uh, you may be there for a while. Um, I'm really glad my wife's not here today. So um, uh, she would say it would be a very short conversation for her, right? Okay, I'm going with that. I thought I was, I wasn't going to get away with that, but I'll go there. Yeah, but it, it's one of those things that we we need to stop pretending. And you know, when you have those conversations, how are you? I'm fine. And you know, you're not. And actually, there are things there, and we can, we can even convince ourselves that everything is fine, but it's really not true. How are you? Well, actually, you are a sinner who is in need of salvation. That's who you are. Um, now, you can't actually say that, by the way. You, the problem is you can't say that because social convention says, when I say, how are you, you're supposed to say, fine, and when you say, how are you, I'm supposed to say, fine. And... I don't know whether you've had those funny conversations where you say, how are you? You go, fine. And how are you? Fine. And we kind of get the social convention out of the way. And then you say, have the same conversation again of, how are you? You go, actually, you know what? I had a really bad week. But you've got to get the social convention thing out of the way first. It's kind of funny how we do this. Now, I think one of the reasons why we struggle with this is that as a culture, we kind of have different levels of sin. And there are some sins that we kind of feel like we can reveal to people and some that we, we don't want to for different reasons. Sometimes it'll be something that we're afraid. It, it's so embarrassing that we're afraid that people will, will judge us for it. And sometimes it's, 
we just don't think it's such a bad sin. I want you to imagine for a moment there is a... Uh, a, a I'm just going with a men's group because I'm a guy and it's easier for me to work this one out. You know, imagine there's a, there's a men's group and, and the group leader said, I'd like us to confess uh, sin that we're struggling with this week. And this guy, we'll, we'll call him Fred because we haven't got a Fred here, do we? No, good. Uh, Fred is sitting there going, you know what? I, I've really been... As I've been reading through the... This is in his head. As I've been reading through the Bible, I've been really convinced of the, the word bitterness. Bitterness keeps coming up. And I've realised I've become quite bitter towards my wife because she's just always nagging me to do stuff around the house. I know I should do it, but I'm just getting more and more bitter about the nagging, even though I know I should do that. Right? So he's got this running through his head. George is sitting next to him. And as it comes around, George says, uh, he confesses his sin. And he says, well, before I became a Christian, I used to regularly visit sex workers. And I have to confess that this week I actually went and visited one and, I, and I, you know, as a Christian, I realise that's the wrong thing to do, but I just I couldn't help myself. Right? Now, on one hand, George has got everyone's got, wow, gee, that is huge. Okay, right? Jesus' blood covers everything, so he covers that. That's okay, but you need to repent of that. Right? Then you come to Fred, and Fred's gone. Oh, you know what? I, I, mine wasn't quite that bad. I just I'm just bitter about my wife nagging, and, and you know what I mean. And we kind of have these levels of sin, as if George is something really bad, and Fred is just doing something kind of bad. We've got to be careful of that. So let me confess my sins. Let me tell you about what I struggle with, particularly repeatedly. Most of my sins come from the idea that I am a people pleaser, right? I just like people to like me. That, that's, that's my big sin, right? If you take me shopping and you, you try something on in the shops and you go, do I look good in this? I will say, yeah. Doesn't matter, you know. You can say, is there a part of my anatomy that looks big in this? I'll go, no. It doesn't really matter whether it does or not. Everyone's going, hey, I should take him shopping. But no, <laughs> this, is, this is a bad idea, right? You know, and, and you could look terrible and, you know, you won't even get out of the shop before the fashion police, police are all on top of you. There are apparently this mysterious group of people called the fashion police that my wife keeps telling me about who she threatens me with all the time. But, you know, and, and I can say... Yeah, you look fine, but I am lying, right? So firstly, I lie to you. But you've got to think about what else is it that I'm doing when I say that? I'm being incredibly condescending because I'm thinking that you can't handle the truth that actually this is probably not the best piece of clothing for you. So I am incredibly condescending. I can deal with the truth, but you can't. How condescending is that? Uh, I, I mean, I can, I can make good excuses about it. I can say, well, you know what, it's, it's not really... It will, you know, I, I read those parts of the Bible where, you know, you need to put the other person first and you need to be, uh, you know... What, what, is, what does Paul say in Philippians? You know, consider others better than yourselves. I, that, that's all I'm doing, really, isn't it? That, that's my justification for it, isn't it? But that's not really what... I'm not really putting you first. I'm putting me first. Because I'm only saying this so that you like me. I don't actually. We're not. I'm not really interested in the clothes at all. I'm only interested in what you think of me, and that you think I'm a good person. You think that you that my my opinion is important. You see, I, I can turn around, and and what that actually does, by the way, that just makes me an idol. Okay, so I am the idol of what is going on here. I want everyone to worship. It people pleasing sounds like a good thing, but actually, it's just making me the center of everything. Now, you could say with our conversation with Fred and George, and I'm in the group, and I go, you come to me and go, 
okay, Pete, what are your sins? And I can say, I'm a people pleaser. You go, that doesn't sound so bad. But what if I said instead, I am a lying, condescending, selfish idolater? Same thing, right? You say potato, I say potato. You say people pleaser, I say lying, selfish, condescending, idolater. It's the same thing, really. Whatever we look at our sins, and one of the reasons why, if you end up with this idea of level of sin, then you need to actually spend some time thinking about what is going on in that sin. And I spent a week thinking about what it meant for me to be a people pleaser, and I realized how terrible it is. The more you think of it, the harder it gets. And here is the, here is the worst thing of my sin. I'll keep doing it. I will be a repeat offender at this. I've been a repeat offender at this for years and years and years, and I'm going to keep doing it. And that is terrible. Why do I do it? Now, if you are a Christian, if you're someone who's followed Jesus, you understand what it means to sin. You understand that there are things that we do that displease God, and you understand that we shouldn't do them, and that's what repentance is about. You understand that Jesus has died for this, and that we should live a life that pleases God. And yet, Are you like me and there are just some sins that you just keep repeating? What are the sins you keep coming back to? I mean, you might want to keep it quiet. You might want to justify it by saying, well, you know, I'm I'm, I'm doing better than, than that person, you know. I'm doing better than... I'm doing better than him, aren't I? If you're not sure what it is, you'll see on your questions uh, on the, on the, in the column, what, what do you fear losing most? Because whatever it is that you fear losing most, that is probably your secret idol. So I'm going to let you think about that as we work our way through this. What do you fear losing most? Now, this all brings us back to Abraham. Uh, let me just give you a little bit of what's happened with Abraham. Uh, in chapter, um, we've been working our way through this, in chapter 15, Abraham was um, before God and God, he trusts God and God gives him the status of righteous. That is, he, he is able to stand before God without fear of his sin. In chapter 17, uh, he is given the sign of uh, the Jewish people that would become the great sign, uh, the sign of circumcision. It will define Jewish culture. In chapter 18, he has a meal with God. He sits down, he has a barbecue with God. How cool is that? And God reveals to him that he's going to destroy this city, this evil city, Sodom. And Abraham intercedes for it and says, God, would you really destroy the whole city if there were just 10 righteous people there? And then chapter 19, we saw last week that Abraham, the, the, the focus switches from Abraham down into Sodom and Sodom is destroyed. All the evil people there, are, you know, there's a big rain of fire and all that sort of thing, and they're all destroyed. And, and what are you expecting to happen next? See, I'm expecting Abraham's confidence in God is going to soar in contrast to Sodom. This is going to be a lesson for us to go, you know, these guys, they're all the bad guys, but Abraham, he's the good guy. He trusts God. He's got confidence in God. So we're expecting Abraham's confidence to Saul. And yet, actually, what we see here is that Abraham is almost as bad as the people of Sodom. He doesn't try, his confidence has fallen apart. He lies. He almost has a guy commit adultery with his wife. But here is the worst part. Does any of this sound familiar? If you've been here for a while, is it a ring and a bell for you? Kind of. Okay. 
What I'm going to do, because we're, we're a small number today, what I'm going to get you to do, I want you to work with some people around you. Uh, it might be someone uh, next to you. I want one of you to hold open Genesis chapter 20. That was the, ca- that was the passage that uh, Crystal read for us. And then the other person, I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 9, I think it is. No, starting at verse 10. I want you to spend a few minutes um, looking at those two passages and seeing if you can work out what are the things that are in common between these two, okay? I'm going to give you about five minutes to do that. Okay, that's five minutes my time, not your time, so don't get too pedantic on that. But yeah, okay, try and work together on that. Chapter 20, chapter 12, and see if you can work out the, the similarities. Alrighty, I reckon you guys probably got the hang of it because you're really smart and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I got caught already. I haven't finished the talk. Thanks, Crystal. Um, pointing out my sin there. Um, okay. Uh, I won't ask how you went. What I'm going to do instead, I'm going to ask Helen to put up the answers that I came up with and you guys can see if you... Um, came up with anything else. Basically, you've got a very, very similar story, don't you? You've got Abraham saying to Sarah, hey, say you're my sister. Uh, and then Abraham, because Abraham is fearful of his life. And then a king then takes Sarah as a wife in one way or, or another. Uh, the king then suffers because of this situation. The king questions Abraham going, hey, what's the deal here? A, uh, Sarah is returned, the king is restored, and Abraham is, well, blessed. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Did you guys get anything else there? Or? They're pretty much, they are very, very similar. Different kings, uh, different stages of life. <laughs> yeah. Hey, didn't we do this before? Yeah, that's all right. Now, let me just deal with that last bit of, is Abraham blessed? And I, the, one of the big differences is the king that is being dealt with here, okay? So chapter 12, the king is Pharaoh. Chapter 20, the, uh, the king is a guy called Abimelech. Now, um, Abimelech gives uh, Abraham, you can see there in, well, it's a series, it says in verse 16, look, I'm giving your brother, your brother, uh, a thousand pieces of silver and it's a verification of your honour uh, to all who are with you and you are fully vindicated. So he gives him like a thousand shekels, which is a huge amount of money. But the reason he does this is not about blessing Abraham. It's actually showing here that Abimelech is actually acting in a more righteous way than Abraham is. Right Now, the word uh, Abimelech, actually, the name, names in the Old Testament usually mean something important. Abimelech means Molech is my father. Molech is a god around in the ancient world who uh, his idea of worship is you come and bring little babies and you kill the little babies as a sacrifice to Molech, right? So when a guy who's going, I'm looking up to Molech as a god, is beating you in righteousness, you know you're in trouble, okay? And, and, and Abimelech wants everyone to know, I've done the right thing and I'm sending Sarah off in a good way. And so when Abimelech comes to him and says, uh, in verses 9 and 10, and says, um, uh, uh, then Abimelech called Abraham in and said to him, what have you done to us? 
How did I sin against you that you have brought such enormous guilt on me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech also said to Abraham, why did you intend, uh, what did you intend when you did this thing? He's going, why are you doing this to me? And again, Abimelech is going, this pagan God is showing himself to be better than Abraham, more righteous than Abraham. And then Abimelech gives him lots of stuff. Now, just to explain the thousand shekels. Now, when someone gets married, uh, let me think, who got, who, uh, okay, um, Melon Vessels, you got married on the 11th of the 11th, 11th, see, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty good that way. <laughs> anyway, when, when in the ancient world, when um, they got married, what would have happened is that um, um, Mel's dad would have given vessels uh, 50 shekels of silver, which I don't know how that equates out, but it's, you know, it's a reasonable amount, a couple of thousand bucks, right? Now, what, Abraham, what Abimelech is doing, he's basically paying the bride price for Sarah, but it's something like um, 20 times the amount. He's basically paying the amount for a princess. He's going, I'm going to treat this woman as a princess. I want everyone to know I didn't do the, I, it's not me. I didn't do the right thing. And in fact, I'm going to show that I've done the right thing by paying the bride price 20 times over. Funnily enough, Sarah's name means princess. Thank you, kids. Well done. You get a gold star. Now, but here's the thing, right? You would think, so whether that is Abraham being blessed or whether that's actually Abraham being rebuked, going, hey, this guy is treating you the way that you should be acting. But coming back to Abraham, you think Abraham would have learned from the last time? It didn't work very well in chapter 12, did it? It didn't really work out for him and and you think, okay, maybe we shouldn't do that again. And yet we're back in this thing. And this time he has an excuse. You see it? Verse 12. Um, besides, she, oh, well, actually, let me go to verse 11. I thought there is absolutely no fear of God in this place. And she will kill me because of my wife. Now, let me just pause there for a second. The irony here is Abimelech is actually afraid of sinning. And the person who has no fear in his heart is Abraham. So he's going, oh, there's no fear of God here. Actually, there's no fear of God in you. That's the problem. But verse 12, you see his excuse? Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So I was going to do a family tree for you, but it got a little complicated. Anyway, she's kind of like a a distant step cousin. So she's not really sister. She's kind of... The point is, it doesn't really matter. The point is, she's his wife. Right? It doesn't really matter how they're related. She's his wife and she, he should be looking after her as his wife. And what does Abraham fear the most? Does he fear God as he should there in verse 11? No, what does he fear? He fears, yeah, he fears being killed. Because he says that they will kill me because, of my, uh, because you are my sister, uh, my, my wife. Now, let me, if you, if if sin doesn't freak you out yet, let me just keep this in mind because we have a very individualistic idea of sin. I, the sins that I commit, they're, they're my sins and that sort of thing. But here's the, here's the thing. The sins that Abraham commits here is the sin of lying and this will be a family trait. So in chapter 26, his son Isaac lies about Rebekah being his wife and saying, oh, well, she's really my sister. Same deal again, Right? His son carries on his sin. And then 
Isaac gets lied to by his son, Jacob. So Jacob then lies to Isaac about, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, your, uh, I'm your other son, so I'm my brother kind of thing. Again, it's a lie there. And then Jacob gets lied to by his sons when Joseph, they take Joseph and they go and kill, you know, pretend to kill him. They go, oh, Joseph died. And so he gets lied to. There is a lying thing. It, it's Abraham lies and it becomes the family trait that gets passed down. Now, I want to ask you, the sins that you commit, are they the things that you want to pass on? Are they the things that you want people to see and to recognize about you, but not just about you, but it may be in your family, or it may be in the, the, if, you're, if you're not, you know, if you're single and you're not married and you go, well, hang on, that's okay because I don't have kids to pass this on to, but you will pass it on. You will pass it on to the people that you are spending time with that you affect. Do you want them to know your sin or your love of God? Keep in mind what sin does. But isn't that the nature of our sinfulness? We just make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And only when we make them over and over again do we realise, oh, we've just done this again. How many times have you sat sat there and you prayed and you're going, dear God, forgive me of... Hey, I just had this amazing sense of deja vu, God. We've done this again, haven't we? Yeah. We're back here again. and you know, It's then, then, then that we, we deal with it. Now, how do we deal with sin? How do we avoid sin? I mean, how do we deal with sin? Again, if you're not a Christian, the way we deal with sin is we come to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who dies for us and we t- he takes our sin in our place. That was what the death of Jesus is all about. But I want to ask us, for those, who want to, those of us who, who understand this, and we go, we need to stop sinning because we love Jesus and we don't want to do what he wants us, uh, the, the things that displease him. How we avoid sin? Well, let me give you, there's been a couple of suggestions around, so actually we probably don't need that table anymore. Thanks, Helen. Um, so let me have a look at a couple of suggestions and then I think I've got a better suggestion. The first is, Accountability. Some people in SOMA have said, you know what we need in this church? We need more accountability. That is, we need people who are looking out for other people and just watching their lives and we need to hold them accountable. We need more accountability partners. Now, let me just say, uh, accountability partners isn't a biblical idea. It's not in the Bible. Um, That doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I mean, microphones aren't in the Bible and I'm using one of those, so it's not necessarily a bad thing. but, But... it's something that can easily become abused on both sides. Right? If you're someone who's holding someone, if I'm holding Paul accountable, I'm going to just pick on you because you're on my left-hand side now. Um, I'm holding Paul accountable. I can easily become the Pharisee and go, hey, Paul didn't, he only read the Bible five out of the seven days this week. Right? You're not like me. You're not as good as me. Come on, man. You've got to pick it up. You've got to get there because you're not really a Christian unless you're at my standard. And you, you inadvertently become the Pharisee the accidental Pharisee, because I'm holding you accountable. So you, rather than helping you mature and grow and go, okay, man, you did five out of seven. That's praise God. That's really good. Let's see what we can do to help you with the rest of it, because it's a loving thing of getting beside someone and coaching them along. But I can easily, as an accountability partner, just become the accidental Pharisee. The flip side of it, of course, is the other way you can do this is um, Paul can abuse the relationship with me. You know, there's people who go, I want to I lose some weight. So I'm going to be a personal trainer. So I go get a personal trainer. And then after about three weeks, I go to the personal trainer and go, hey man, I'm not losing any weight. What's going on? He goes, well, are you doing any of the exercises? I go, no, no, that's what, I'm paying you to lose my weight. What's going on? Right, you know what I mean? 
Like you, you pass all the responsibility onto the other person, and so he can go, "Hey, I sinned this week. What, what are you doing about it?" You know, that's not my my job is to help you and coach you, but you need to take some responsibility there. And we, I've actually seen people who uh, in churches who have blamed their accountability partners because they have sinned. See, accountability partner, it can be a good thing, but actually it's a good tool, but for a larger purpose. I'll come back to that. Uh, some other people have said, you know what we need in this church? We need more church discipline. Now, church discipline is a biblical idea. There are places in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, for example, where Paul actually goes, hey, as a church, you've got to be careful and you've got to look at out, you've got to help each other be, avoid sin and not glorify in sin. But here's the thing. It is the spirit that actually changes people's hearts and minds. And church discipline can be a way, and I've seen this happen, church discipline can be a way that the spirit uses to get your attention to say, hey, you need to fix this, and I'm trying to get your attention here, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the whole church to look at you and go, hey, you need to change this now. So if you're hearing from a couple of different people, hey, we've noticed something about your behavior that we're not quite sure there's a good thing, then that is probably a thing you need to look at very, very carefully. Take some time, book out some time where it's you, the Bible, where it's you and God, and you're just working this out. I haven't got time. You don't have time not to do this. This is important. But the discipline doesn't actually change us. Sometimes the discipline is just getting our attention to what we can change. See, I think there's a better solution when it comes to avoiding sin. Because a church discipline is usually not avoiding sin, it's actually when you've already sinned. That's, that's part of the problem. We want to avoid sin. And um, I, I'm going to give Carl some credit here because he helped me, he reminded me of this, he told me the story a while ago and reminded me of it. And I don't usually give people credit, so one of the few times you actually get that, man. In ancient Greek mythology, and I'm sorry if I get it wrong too, because I know there are some people here who know ancient history much better than I do, but in ancient Greek mythology, there were some creatures called sirens. And uh, what they were, they were beautiful, looked like beautiful women, and um, what they would do is they had these, be- these beautiful voices and they would sing this beautiful song in the middle of the ocean. And the idea was that they would get sailors to come to them and the, the sailors would crash their ships as they were listening to the, the siren song. And I think I got this right, the sirens then feed on their car, they'll start feeding and eating the, the, the sailors, because that's how they ate. Now, uh, yeah. Which, really, isn't that what sin is? Sin, it sounds, it always sounds beautiful, but it will lead in death. Because there are very few people I know who go, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do something that's going to lead me to go to hell. I'm just going to do something that I'm going to do just to displease God. It rarely happens that way. It just goes, oh, that... It doesn't sound so bad or it doesn't feel so bad or it's just some temptation there. But when you follow the path all the way down, it ends in your death. Right. So in these ancient Greek mythology, there was sin and we want to avoid sin. Now, uh, in mythology, there were two ships that had to pass by the sirens. Uh, one ship was um, uh, captained by a man called Odysseus, where we get the, uh, the book The Odyssey from. Uh, famous uh, Homer poem, not Homer Simpson, Homer the ancient Greek, Greek poem. And, and what he did is Odysseus said, you know what, I, I want to hear the song, but I'm not so big on the dying bit and being eaten. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the, the crew to chain me to the mast 
and then the crew are going to get beeswax, literally beeswax, stick it in their ears so that they can't hear it. And then he sailed past, and the, the, the sailors were unaffected, they couldn't hear what was going on. He could hear it, and he was, he was almost tortured by the beauty of it. And as I understand it, he then spent the rest of his life, he, he didn't get killed by the sirens, but the siren song got into his heart. And as I understand it, he spent the rest of his life, every time he heard something, it, it never sounded as beautiful. Just never, it was just, it was something that had, had affected him for the rest of his life, where he just lost beauty. So it kind of didn't work. And, and often what we do is we try, if we try, I'll just chain myself up or I'll get as close to sin as I possibly can without it affecting me. But it does, it gets into our hearts, it changes our hearts. Now the other story that we have in ancient Greek mythology is about Jason and he was on a ship called the Argos, uh, Jason and the Argonauts. And, and Jason came up with a much better plan. He didn't block up the ears of all of his sailors. What he did is he had a guy called Orpheus. Now, Orpheus just happened to be like the best musician in the entire universe at that time. Uh, you know, he'd, he'd rock out the lyre better than anyone else and he just had this beautiful voice. And, and, and so what he did is, uh, what Jason did is, he got the guys to sail, but he just got Orpheus to sing. And he just sung a, a more beautiful song than the sirens. And they all just spent their time listening to Orpheus and not to the sirens, and that's how they were delivered from the siren song. And that's really what we have to do. On one hand, we need to keep in mind that the sin is dangerous and it will kill us. We just need to listen to a better song. The song of Jesus. See, Jesus will love you more than sin. Jesus offer you more. He will give you more fulfillment than anything. I mean, Jason knew what was at stake. He knew he wasn't going to make him, you know, he didn't want to make a mistake on this. He knew that you get this wrong, it's going to be dangerous. But he also knew that the key was listening to a better song. You see what you got, sin or Jesus? You know, when it comes to looking at pornography and things that we shouldn't be looking at, would you rather just a moment of, you know, titillation and, you know, kind of stimulation? Or knowing that you're pleasing the one who rules the universe? Or relationship, getting that that feeling of, I, I feel important to someone. Or knowing that the king of the universe died for you. Or gossip, you know, feeling, I want to feel like I'm in. Or knowing that you speak the words of God. When you think about it, sin will take your life. Jesus will give his life. Sin will take everything. Jesus offers you everything. Sin will kill you. Jesus will give you life. Which, which is the better song? When you sit there and you look at it, it, it's really not that hard. But we forget it. I mean, Abraham, he sat down, he had a meal with God. You know, he had a barbecue with God. And yet two chapters later, he's forgetting about how great God is. And he's so worried about his own life, he gets his wife to lie and almost commit adultery. You, we lose, we've got to keep hearing that song every single day. You know, for me, it's a question of do I please people, do I please you, or do I please Jesus? You know what, I, all week I was there going, I really don't want to use that illustration of people pleasing because I'm a people pleaser and I don't want you to think that I've got things wrong. And that was the great irony, wasn't it? And yet I know, I've I got to tell you what is wrong with my life so that you can see how great Jesus is, not how great I am. 
And when you're using, when you're, you're looking about if you're an accountability person or you've got to be involved with church discipline, the point is you've got to point to Jesus being better than sin. That's the whole point. These things are going to help you get there, but they're not going to do it in and of themselves. You know, Jesus is better than sin. That's what will help us to avoid sin, is to listen to the song of Jesus and how much better he is. So how do you do this? You've got to listen to Jesus. This will involve yeah, picking this up and reading it from time to time. Now, I know that some of you, I've, I've talked to some of you about this, and some of you are going, I don't feel inspired. I just don't feel like it. I don't, yeah. Now, let me say, yeah, I understand that. But you have to understand as well, what you're saying is, I, I feel, it's like saying I'm too hungry to get up and cook dinner. Right? There may be something that you need to do uh, to, to, to get, you, get things kick-started. I don't know whether it's a talk or a conference or read a book or whatever it is, but you need to do something. But if you don't do it regularly, yeah, you are going to be hungry and you're going to end up being too hungry to go and cook a meal. You, you actually need to feed on the song of Jesus. That will just take time. Now, I don't know how you do this. You can do this in all sorts of different ways. I just let you know, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be making notes on the book of Acts because we're going to be looking at Acts later in the year, uh, next year. Uh, I, I'm not doing that. I, I actually just want to know, I just want to hear Jesus, right? So I am just writing lots and lots of notes on the I am statements in John. I just want to know, I just want to get back to Jesus. So I'm just doing that. I'm just writing lots and lots of notes on I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of life. I am the, the vine. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. All those things. Maybe it's a, Or uh, this week I sent out an email uh, that had a, a um, with a link, the, the Soma Weekly special this week was a thing with coffee with the king. And what this is, if you, you're going to kind of, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. There's a guy who's done some work for you, a guy called Tim McBride. He's a New Testament lecturer over at Morling College. And he and I have done some work together. And he is writing a blog. And you can just follow the blog and go, this is what I'm looking at this week. I'm looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And he just writes a bunch of, you can read the passage. Yeah, that doesn't do much for me, but I can look at that and go, oh, that's what I should be looking at. Right, I can help that. That's good. If you're someone who just doesn't do it, just do it with someone else. Just find someone to do it. Yeah, well, I don't know. I haven't got time, but I don't know. Get on the phone. Just say, hey, we've got five minutes. We're, we're, you know, coordinate your lunch breaks, coordinate something. Just get on the phone, get on speakerphone, go, hey, I'm reading this. What do you reckon? What do you think? That sort of thing. You've got to feed on the song of Jesus or you will end up just going back and repeating your sins again and again. You're just going to keep going back over it and over it and over it because the song of sin will be stronger than the song of Jesus. But we need to be listening to the song of Jesus rather than the siren song of sin. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word because your word brings life. Your word is about your son. Your word is about how much you love us. Your word is, is what brings us eternal life. Your word is the water of life and the bread of life. We pray that you will help us to listen to your word, not, not for the the next moral thing that we can do to how we can make our lives better, but to listen to how great you are. What a glorious and great God we have, we follow. Help us to be enraptured by that love. So enraptured of it that we don't we won't sin. 
the siren song of sin just won't have any effect on us. And yet, Father, we, we realise we are sinners. We realise that we've done the wrong thing. We realise that we have continued to disobey you and displease you, and we are so sorry. But Father, thank you that you love us. Your son Jesus died for every single sin that we have done, that we will do, that we may even be doing right now. And that was what makes you such a great and glorious God. That's what makes you worthy of our worship. Amen. Now, I've got a Q&A thing scheduled. If you've got, has anyone got any questions? Okay, in chapter, uh, she was about 10 years younger than Abraham. So in chapter 12, she's about 65. In uh, chapter 20, she's about, uh, I think, 80, early 90s. Yeah, now, a lot of people have asked, you know, made some questions about, you know, what's what's the deal? You know, she was just really hot, so to speak. Um, My guess is that probably the case. Um, The... the, on, on the other hand, uh, and she is well past childbearing age, so she's past what we would consider. Because, I mean, in, in our Western culture, our great idol as a society is the 20-year-old woman. Like, you know, like every magazine cover, whether it's a men's magazine or a woman's magazine, has the same image on the front, right? That's our idol. That's what we worship. And I, my guess is that what they had in terms of beauty is going to be a little different. Also, somebody... Had, uh, this is just for you to think about, and that sort of thing... Um, I read somewhere that someone also suggested that the ancient world, the diet was a lot different, and so beauty would have continued on a lot more. And did you say that? Paleo diet. Paleo diet. <laughs> and it wasn't. I, I, it was actually. It wasn't just Jonathan. There is actually a scholar who's actually worked on it. He said, you know, maybe that had something to do with it, and that that gave her more youthful looks and that sort of thing. And and the other thing you've got to keep in mind is she isn't from that area, so she's going to look different. There's going to be an exotic exoticness. For about her, so she is from um, essentially the the um, Babylonian Valley, which is you know a couple of thousand miles away. So she's going to look different to what the other girls in the area. Look. So there's going to be an exotic nature to what she's got. So yeah, but yeah, it's weird, huh? She's going to yeah. Any other questions? Nick. Yep. Yeah, so the, just to explain, the, the question is, are all sins bad or are they, gonna be, are they graded kind of thing? Yes and no, okay? So it depends on how you look at it. On one hand, there is some, basically all sin bad, right? So you, can, you, have a, you have someone like Moses who doesn't get to go into the promised land because he hit a rock instead of spoke to it, right? He, he, he basically listened to God and didn't obey him. And you go, well, hang on, that is a big thing, you know, kind of thing. Or you've got another guy in... Uh, 2 Samuel 6, uh, where um, they are leading in the Ark of the Covenant and they're going up in Jerusalem and his sin is to touch the Ark because the Ark's on the back of a cart and the cart falls over and he goes to touch it to stop it from falling over. God said, don't touch my Ark. 
struck him down dead. And you kind of go, well, hang on, how is it? That's, that's pretty harsh kind of thing. So on one hand, we kind of go, all sin is, is bad. However, uh, one of the, Paul makes um, an interesting comment in uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it's 6, where he says, sexual sin, for example, is a sin not just is against your body. Um, so there are some sins that are going to affect my life in different ways. So on one hand, what I'm saying is, the way that God views sin, it's all going to be pretty, it's all the same. But the way it affects our lives is going to be different. Okay? So uh, me um, being sexually immoral actually is a sin against my body, the body that will continue on for eternity because this is the body that's going to get resurrected. So there is going to be something that I'm going to go, oh, I've got to carry that. And I mean, I'll be cleansed from it, but it, it affects my, you know what I mean? Like there, there's something that's different about the nature of that sin. Um, Whereas, you know, stealing, for example, is going to affect me, but it's also going to, it's going to affect the person I'm stealing from, and it's going to affect that in a different way, in a way that, that sexual sin is. So the, the, the actual particular sins are going to affect my life in different ways, but the way that God sees sin is going to be the same. Now, when it comes to actually confessing our sin, I think what we need to do is just keep in mind, we need to, to remember that God covers all sin, and so if someone says to us, you know, some sin that you kind of... Uh, I remember a, a minister, he was talking about um, uh, the command, do not murder. And he had, a, in his congregation, a guy who'd served time for murder. And this guy, everyone else was kind of going, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good because I haven't murdered anyone. And he's going, I'm feeling pretty bad because I did. And, uh, and you know, for, for he and the minister had to sit down and have a conversation and go, did God, has God forgiven me for that sin? He said, I know it's hard, but yes, he has. So on one hand, no matter how bad the sin is, God has covered it. But we, but we tend to go, I think, the other way. We tend to go, the sin doesn't sound so bad, so we kind of go, murder, really, really bad. And it usually is the kind of thing, because I haven't murdered anyone, so I'm okay. But gossip, because I tend to do that all the time, gossip's not a bad sin, I can justify that. It's not really gossip, it's sharing with the Christian community. You know, we just call it, we call it a different thing and try to pretend that it's, a, it's, it's okay. But it's gossip. And gossip is bad. Gossip will kill and we actually need to actually look at some of those sins that we, we think are, are light and go, what has God... You read through James and you see what the sins of the tongue are like. Or you read through Proverbs and you see how bad the sins of the tongue are, then you will see how bad that is. And just... To, sorry, I'm just going to go on a rant for a bit. With um, gossip, for example, there is... A, if you want to see how bad... If, if you kind of go on gossip, eh, it doesn't feel so bad. In the late 1800s, there were a bunch of guys who were sitting around in um, middle America and um, they were journalists and they are going, we haven't got anything to put in the newspaper today, so I know, we're going to make up this story that uh, America is going to industrialise China. Now, America and China weren't really good friends at that point of time because China was pretty much closed to the Western society. And this story got picked up by the national papers in, in, throughout the country. It was completely fabricated, made up. It then got picked up by the Chinese press back in the 1800s, or the Chinese government, and the Chinese government said, these guys are coming in to invade our, our country to industrialise us, and it set off the Boxer Rebellion. Right? Just because a bunch of guys were sitting around a, a table a, little, a couple of months earlier going, we haven't got a story, let's just make one up. Like, that's how dangerous this could be. And it will go on for generations as well, like I said. I think we've got to take sin a lot more, those light sins a lot more seriously. Sorry, that was a longer rant than you are expecting, but... Uh, I'm going to hand over to Nick and he's going to pray for us. So thanks, Nick.